hockey fans, and welcome back to the final episode of the preseason schedule for the eighth year of Rotowire's signature NHL Hockey Pod podcast with Statsman and AJ. Friends, I'm Paul Bruno in Toronto, Ontario, and you can follow me at Statsman22. My co-host is always AJ Schultz, who's a glittering follow at <laughs> AJ Schultz24. That's A-J-S-C-H-O-L-Z24, based in Sun Prairie, Wisconsin, where the sun never sets. That's very close to Rotowire headquarters over in Madison, where... Uh, a lot of our peers are hard at work, buddy, and uh, the hockey season's about to start. I can't wait. I know you're excited. Yeah, looking forward to it. We got, uh, you know, we got like a, a short little taste on Friday and Saturday, right? We get the uh, the international games and then a couple more days off till uh, till we get full on regular season. But it's right there. Yes, indeed, and uh, we started our daily hits on DraftKings yesterday. We're going to share some of that uh, output. With you, it's, it was a prediction-oriented episode, and you'll find us all over the daily uh, efforts that they produce on a show that they call The Sweat over there, where AJ and I are always covering the hockey scene. So once the games get rolling, you'll be able to see us very often this season. And you can also watch us here on YouTube and Facebook in, in uh, the rest of the season. AJ will provide particulars for that if I've messed that up at all. But uh, off the top, buddy, we uh, want to repeat what we basically what we did on the DraftKings show yesterday, and that is it's prediction time around the NHL. So let's take our listeners through something that we did on the DraftKings show where we uh, tailored it to Pooley's off the top saying, who are the breakout fantasy picks that we see around the league? AJ, I'll, I've, I've got my picks up on the screen here. What do you think? Yeah, so I went with uh, Seth Jarvis, you know, one year uh, in the league, really good numbers in that, that first year, put up uh, 40 points in 68 games. So, again, a, a really solid rookie season for him. And I would expect more out of him. You you only got six power play points out of that, that 40. So I do think you'll see some more from him there. Um, and then, yeah, so bigger power play role. Should be able to get over 20 goals with a few more games in there. And so I, I really like Seth Jarvis to have a bigger and better season with Carolina. And AJ, I agree. That's a great call. And he's he's one of three uh, players who get top six opportunities with some of the top teams in the Atlantic. I'll share the other two names that I think fit the same profile almost. Over in Florida, they've, they've acquired Rudy Balsers, who comes to them. A year ago, he was in San Jose, and he was all over their roster. San Jose didn't have a very good year, but he had 23 points for them. And I can see if he gets a top six role, he's going to be the weakest link in that top six, but I still think he's in line to get around 60 points if he can hold on to that job all season long. He's a pretty capable, skilled player. So surrounded by all the skill they have there, I see that as his ceiling this season, more than doubling his projected points. And then closer to home for me here in Toronto – you may say it's a, no, a homer pick, but I've watched Nick Robertson very closely in his development, AJ, and he looks like a different player this season. Uh, top, top scorer in, in junior and in the AHL whenever he's been there, and he's off to a great start, albeit in its exhibition games, I know, but he's looking good in a top six role in Toronto, and he, again, will be sur- surrounded by talent. Imagine him getting to play with the likes of John Tavares and Willie Nylander all year long. Well, that's the opportunity for him. And I could see him getting 60 points as well. So those are our top uh, breakout performers. We'd love to hear from our listeners to see who they've got pegged without giving their secrets away uh, if their drafts haven't taken place yet. But I'm looking forward to seeing what our listeners have to say in that regard and, and for all our picks as well. 
AJ, the Hart Trophy is is one of the more, most prestigious uh, awards that's given out. It's given out the most valuable player to his team at the end of this regular season. And last year, it was a battle all year long with McDavid and Matthews. I have to think they're very strong considerations. And so I have them at the top of my list once again. I, I don't think there's anybody that's going to challenge McDavid in the total points race. And I don't think there's going to be anybody that challenges Matthew for the Rocket Richard Trophy either. So they stand alone above the pack in my regard. But if I was to look for some some uh, dark horses, I'll say, though any of the top 20 goal point getters in the NHL can't be considered a dark horse. But for the purposes of the Hart Trophy, I've got Artemi Panarin and Nikita Kucherov as alternate uh, possibilities. Panarin was a guy who played in the second line for the New York Rangers. I think he's going to buy for first line minutes, top six regardless. And he's maybe the most skilled player they have on Broadway. And I think he's going to usurp some of Chris Kreider's scoring. I think Kreider is going to see a dip. If you're looking for a bust candidate, the 50-goal shooter from last year is going to revert to career form and uh, be nip and tuck to get 30-35 this year. I think Panarin will uh, take up a lot of that slack and threaten for the Hart Trophy this year. I also like Nikita Kucherov of Tampa Bay. He, his trouble is that he can't stay healthy, but when he is, he's better than a point-per-game player, and that's still a team that's pretty loaded. So those are four names that I consider, AJ. Do you agree with any of the four, or do you have others to consider? No, you're totally wrong. No, <laughs> I kid. Uh, yeah, I mean, it probably comes down to Matthews and McDavid. But look, anybody who's listened to this show after over the last couple of years know that I'm going to keep banging the drum for Nathan McKinnon. I still think he is the most valuable player to his team. Uh, it's going to be more so at the beginning of the season here. Gabriel Landeskog is out, so McKinnon's going to have to do even more. Um, he should be in line for a 90-point season. I think that's totally possible for him. So I just – at some point, they're going to have to give him one. Well, Whether he has as many points as McDavid or not, Nathan McKinnon has been the most valuable player on his team for a number of years. I think has earned uh, earned it over the course of it. I know it's a one-season award, but I think if McKinnon gets like 90 points this year, somewhere like north of 90 this year, I think it's him for sure. Well, I had to leave one open for you because I hate batting second. So I'll let you go first here on the Vezina Trophy, though. Who are your top choices for the the league's best goalie, let's say? Yeah, I mean, for me, it comes down to Shesterkin or Vasilevsky. Um, I, I would lean towards Vasilevsky. You know, when we were talking about uh, DraftKings, we pointed out that the odds, you know, if you're betting on it, the odds for Vasilevsky were plus 500 versus Shesterkin plus 250. So for what I view as a coin toss, like get better value, right? Get plus 500 by betting on Vasilevsky. So, you know, three straight Stanley Cup finals. His numbers have not dropped off at any point. He's still got a really good team around him. There's no reason to think he can't do it again. So I, I like Vassal for the, the Vesna. And AJ, they're definitely going to be in contention. First of all, they're still two of only a handful of goalies that play as many as 60 games a year. And I pegged them both to get that threshold again this season. So it uh, makes them two of the favorites. But I'm going to throw two other names out for consideration. One guy who was the leader, I say, at the half point last year, halfway point, Jacob Marstrom for Calgary. He may actually be better than last season overall because he tailed off at the end of the year, you might remember. And I look for Mackenzie uh, Weger to add a lot to their defense to insulate him a little bit more. But they also have Dan Blatter in the Nets, who has been a serviceable backup and I think should be playing a little bit more to rest Markstrom. So the tandem will be strong. The defensive structure will be great. And Markstrom still will be among the busiest goalies in the NHL with really solid numbers across the board. Similar profile awaits UC Saros in Nashville. 
He's a workhorse on another team that's very good defensively. And they also added a nice piece in Ryan McDonough, who uh, leaves from Tampa to get uh, a similar role in uh, the top four in Nashville, where they're loaded on defense. And it's the team concept is it's all defensive minded, too first and foremost, and they've got a pretty good team in front of them. So I like those two guys to challenge the two that you set up. And I think that one of the four is definitely going to walk away with the trophy. I think that's, that's, that can't even be called a hot take. Uh, <laughs> the Calder, Calder Trophy, AJ, this is where we can have a little bit of fun, but uh, it's the top rookie in the NHL. And uh, I know that it might be a Canada versus U.S. thing uh, based on what I heard from you earlier this week. <laughs> yeah, I like uh, I like Maddie Beniers for uh, Seattle. He was the number two overall pick back in 2021. Um, nine points in 10 games for the Kraken last year. Uh, point per game player in two seasons at the University of Michigan. Like This is a fantastic player. Set for first line center role with them. Um, again, looking at like the betting odds over on the, the DraftKings Sportsbook, he's plus 400, so he's a favorite there, slightly ahead of you know a couple guys like uh, Mason McTavish, Owen Power, and Ken Johnson. But for me, first-line center should be number one power play. Um, I would expect big things out of him. And I've always said I, I feel that players like collegiate players are better prepared to jump right into the NHL than, say, guys coming out of juniors. Um, so I, I think he's got a good opportunity here to take the Calder. That's a very interesting take, AJ, and uh, I might like to debate with you, but I might, we might go along, so we'll save that for another day. Because I think the Ontario Junior League, for instance, the, all the Canadian major junior leagues are pretty strong. They play twice as many games as a lot of the U.S. colleges. I know you're talking about a lot of practice time that benefits the players, though, in the States, so that's a, definitely an equalizer. But I'm going to go north of the border for my Rookie of the Year projection, in terms of where this guy came from, at least. Uh, Mason McTavish uh, played much of his junior career with Peterborough, but he was traded to Hamilton last year on the eve of the Memorial Cup. Had an outstanding run there, and then and out further uh, cemented his position as one of the top juniors graduating this year with two outstanding performances at the World Championships that he's participated in uh, in the junior ranks. So I think if McTavish looked like a man among boys, even though he too is not yet 20 years old, I think he's still 19 so uh, I expect big things from him. Berniers is no slugs. They're going to both get a heck of an opportunity to get a lot of ice time. Easily, both of them are going to get top six minutes. So really, they couldn't ask for a better jumping off point to get their careers in, in, in gear. Uh, McTavish has the size, the speed, as well as the skills that I love in a prototypical power forward. So I'm leaning that way. And that could be the focus of our annual dollar bet, AJ. We've let that slide a little bit, but we'll mull that one over as a possibility. Maybe we'll throw a couple of bucks down on a couple of bets this year. Maybe even on a Stanley Cup final pick. And uh, <laughs> that's where we wind up, AJ. And I know you're chuckling because I said this the other day and you, you tried to have me for lunch. Uh, but I'm going to stick with it. I say it's been 30 years that the Cup has not come north of the border to a Canadian-based team. I think this is a real good opportunity for two clubs, and I wouldn't be surprised at all if they clash in the in the cup final. I'm going to go with Calgary versus Toronto, and one of them is going to break a lengthy drought. Of course, I hope it's the one closer to home for me, but both teams easily ranked in the top half dozen clubs in the NHL, for my, in my opinion, and uh, I wonder if you agree or disagree. Well, here's the issue the other day, Paul. They asked for a dark horse Stanley <laughs> Cup winner. And you pick the Leafs, who have the second best odds. That'd be like me coming in and saying, yeah, I think Colorado's going to repeat. They're my dark horse. Like, no, 
That was the problem the other day. The Leafs are a favorite and a, have a good team, a good chance. I, I will talk about them more, but they're not a dark horse. So to answer the question we answered the other day, I went with the Pittsburgh Penguins, who are plus 2,000 to win the Cup. They've got a, you know, a, the band is back together. I think they're motivated more than ever, especially if Kenny Malkin. They've got some good players around them. They really just need Jari to stay healthy in the postseason to really make a deep run. I do like Calgary as a potential option, uh, plus 1,500 looking at their odds. And, you know, if we're just picking who we think could probably win this year, uh, I would stick with Colorado. I think Colorado has the best chance to win and, and possibly repeat here. But, uh, yeah, for dark horse candidate, I'm picking the Penguins. I would like a real dark horse candidate from you, Paul. No Flames, plus 1,500, not dark horse enough. No Flames, no Leafs. Who's your dark horse candidate, Paul? I'm going to say the Carolina Hurricanes. Not the Carolina. They're another favorite. I'm going to say the New York Rangers. They're a team that's there not, not one or two, but they've got a team that's been rebuilding on the fly, and they've done a great, great job. But they've got a third line that, that could be one of the most dynamic in the NHL with the the youngsters that they've got in, in tow. We talked about them last week. And I think that's a team that's going to come out of the, the Metro division and uh, be a force to be reckoned with in the playoffs. They've got the solid goaltending that you implied earlier on. So there's a darker horse to you, but I couldn't let the show go off without a, a couple of leaf references to whet the appetite of a large contingent of Canadian listeners here who are just hoping they live long enough to see such a, such an outcome, me included. So, uh, it'd be nothing better to see an all-Canadian final, and I'm going to stick with that possibility. <laughs> On today's show, though, we conclude our series of preseason pods where we cover one, we've cover we covered one division per week to preview the depth charts in detail. And today, of course, we finish up by taking a look at the Atlantic division. AJ, why don't you start us off with your take at the forward ranks of the Boston Bruins? Yeah, well, the forward ranks for Boston have taken uh, quite a hit this year, and it's led to a few... A few shuffle-ups here. So, obviously, Brad Marchand out. We're predicting a a December-ish, like early December return for him, um, you know, from from that hip surgery. So, uh, they'll be without him for a while. Then Taylor Hall picked up an upper body injury. He's week to week. No real indication. Like, does that mean ready next week or is it going to be a little bit longer? So, we haven't gotten a ton of info on that right now, but week to week is certainly uh, worse than worse than day to day. So we'll see how that goes. So really has changed things up here. Um, Pavel Zaka is the guy that they're looking at to take that first uh, first line left wing. And this was true even before Taylor Hall got hurt. They were going to put him in a top six role, um, likely with Hall on that line. So it would have been Zaka Hall and, and Patrice Bergeron. Instead, now we're looking at Jake DeBrusque. Uh, on the right side of that group. Obviously, I think he's kind of the the weakest option here, although his numbers aren't terrible. Um, He's got, you know, three 40-point seasons in in a five-year NHL career. Um, And then so for the second line now with those injuries, we've got Trent Frederick on the left. David Krejci returns from the Czech Republic, signs with them um, for, for the season to be that second line center. And he'll pair up with David Pasternak on the right. Obviously, if they're looking for goals late in the game, you'll see Pasternak move up. I would even see Craig Smith potentially being in the mix um, for, for a top six role, depending on what they get out of DeBrus. So 
Um, from there, it's a couple guys that we're familiar with that we've seen in, in bottom sixes, either here or, or in other leagues. So I won't dive into that too much unless there's somebody you want to highlight there, Paul. Well, AJ, you look at the fact that they're bringing back David Krejci for uh, another turn in Boston. He had a year in Czech uh, League where he's picked up 46 points in 51 games played, but the itch to come back to Boston for one more year, I think that coincided with Patrice Bergeron's one-year deal. Looks like a victory lap for those guys before they uh, settle into retirement mode, I'm going to suggest. And it doesn't help, certainly, with the fact that Brad Marchand and Hall are going to be missing, but I think they're smart to separate Pasternak and Bergeron on the top two lines. Pressure's going to be on Zaka and Frederick to hold up their end of the bargain there. And uh, I, l- I keep a look at uh, who else might help. Charlie Coyle's a guy I got my eye on. He's penciled in for third line minutes currently, but I think if one of those two guys falters up front, he'll be moved into the top six as well to build on the 44 points that he got last year. I think in in uh, looking at the club, obviously Marshawn's not going to come close to 80 points. He got them in 70 games played last year. He might be relegated to like 50 or 55 games played. So you got to adjust your your thinking accordingly. And Hall. Had 61 points in a 81 game slate. I don't think he's going to get there. He might be a guy who fights to get up to 50 points in a more limited role. So don't forget to take a look at the minutes, the games they played last year, and particularly the injured guys won't reach those targets. I don't think, and uh, they're going to be vulnerable in the bottom six because I didn't like what I saw out of Nick Foligno last year. AJ Greer is a bit of an unproven player and Thomas Nosek doesn't offer a heck of a lot into checking. So they've got a bit of a problem in the bottom six. It's pretty thin. And uh, maybe Jack Studnika or Oscar Steen make the next step to challenge for those opportunities. When we swing over to the blue line, it's a little more positive, but still they have injury concerns there as well. Begin with those injury notes, Matt Grizzlick and Charlie McAvoy, both out of the lineup at the moment. They are arguably the top two of the top three scoring options from Bruins back, Bruins back end. So I'm going to miss them for a time. I'm not really sure, AJ, if you have any, any timeline on either one of those guys. So you might respond when I'm done with my slant. Beyond them, they offer up Mike Riley Connor, and Connor Clifton and Jacobs Borrell, along with Dave, Derek Forbert in terms of returning guys. None of them uh, a big-time scorer. Anton Strahlman has been brought over from Arizona, where he got 23 points, dwarfing the totals of any uh, of the four guys I just mentioned. And Connor Carrick is there on a, a PTO, uh, played in, with New Jersey in a limited role last year, but he's more of a fill-in until some of these guys get back. So I don't know if you have any other opinion, but I, I think they're going to be wanting for offense from the back end. Pressure to be on Hampus Lindholm in the early going, I think, in that regard. Yeah, absolutely. So McAvoy looks like he'll be out. Uh, we're looking at early December sometime then. Rizalcha could be back at the end of October here. Um, and so uh, just one one thing to clarify. So it's Strowman that's in on the PTO. Right. But Carrick got placed on waivers today right. Right. Um, to move him to the, the minors. So I would expect we'll see an official contract for Strowman at some point here. Just the fact that, you know, they've got McAvoy and Grzelczyk out, at least you know, in Grzelczyk's case, for the first month. So I'm guessing based on Carrick's, uh, pending demotion to the minors that Strawman has earned his his spot here. Between the nets, it looks like, you know, we'll head into the season with Jeremy Swayman as the starter. That should come as no surprise. 23-14-3 and three last year in 41 games for the Bruins. Um, the backup situation is a bit of a more, more of a question mark. We've got um, Linus Olmark. He played in 41 games for the Sabre or uh, for Boston last year as well. Does he 
with the crease? Is he the number two? And then I think Keith Kincaid, like, probably most likely going to be the number three and in the minors. But, look, I wouldn't be shocked if they made a, a different choice here and kept Kincaid to, to back up Swayman just because of his veteran you know, kind of knowledge there. But I do think ultimately we'll probably see Swayman and Olmark with Swayman probably pushing for 50, maybe 55 of the games. Yeah, I, I, I think you're underselling Olmark just a little bit, but I do think he's he's going to retain that backup role. I do see Swayman getting, like you said, about 50 starts and winning that number one opportunity. But I, I, you got to think the Bruins still have the opportunity to play a defensive style game. It's reflected in the goals against average you guys had last year, both sub two and a half. I think they're going to be hard pressed to maintain that with all the injuries that they're they're dealing with. If they can hang around the first half of the year, they'll be ready to make a push in the second half. But if they don't get off to a good start, it could be a long year in Beantown, I would say. The Buffalo Sabres, a team that's going to challenge Boston, I think, in the standings. Uh, and we'll see where you think they wind up at the end of the show. I, I have high hopes for these guys, relatively speaking. The offense is going to look somewhat familiar. A couple of guys are getting old enough to challenge, experienced enough to challenge, though, to make the top top nine look a little bit different. But a lot of mainstays returning. Jeff Skinner, Tage Thompson, Victor Olofsson looks to be a formidable top line. Each of them capable of at least 50 to 60 points. Maybe Tage Thompson will threaten 70, 75. He got 68 last year. And they, they were all relatively healthy, so that's the challenge to return. And nobody – I'm not even talking about Jeff Skinner's contract anymore because he's put together a nice year last year and starting to look like he's almost worth the money. I mean, not quite still because it's such a big ticket, but at least they did get 63 points last year, not like 20 the year before or whatever it was. Then uh, on the second line, they've got Jack Quinn, a formerly high-rated prospect that they have had in their system. He played most of the season in Rochester, where he got 61 points in 45 games. On the left, he's penciled in for left-wing duty alongside Casey Middlestat, who gets a promotion to the second line, and Alex Tuck, who will vie for top six minutes all season long and maybe power play time as well. He got 48, 38 points in 50 games. I think he's He's had some health issues, and I love to see him play a full slate of games because the big bruising winger just plays it like I like it, and uh, a lot of time for his style. AJ, that's the top six here. There are other prospects, and then a couple of another big ticket in Kyle Pozo that are in the bottom six. How do you th- see that looking? Yeah, I don't see a lot of potential changes um, other than perhaps challenging Jack Quinn, whether or not he can fully adjust right off the bat. Um, one guy that could be in the midst is JJ Paterka uh, in the AHL had uh, 68 points in, in 70 games. So really good season for them. Uh, I'm not sure Peyton Craves is in a spot to do that. Dylan Cousins, you know, they'll probably keep him in the middle. Um, it's, it's a young kind of third line that we project here. And then, yeah, you mentioned Oposo, Riley Shahan in the mix, Vinny Henestroza, Anders Bjork, kind of a couple veteran bottom six grinders to really round out the group here. So I I do think um, Buffalo is trending upwards based. You know, I agree with you, Paul. I I think they could um, head in the right direction here on the blue line. They've got uh, Matias Samuelson up top with Rasmus Dahlin. Dahlin will obviously be the offensive driver there, um, but certainly Samuelson could chip in the occasional assist. And then Owen Power comes over. (laughs) 
another uh, University of Michigan product, 32 points in 33 games for them last season. His brief tryout at the end of the year, eight games, three points. So um, I would expect more offensive contributions from him this year. He'll pair up with Labushkin, who's uh, more of you know, a de- defensive option here. And then Jacob Bryson, Henry Jokioharu, and Casey Fitzgerald rounding out the bottom pairing. So for me, really – in terms of fantasy potential producers, it's it's pretty much a two-man show here between Darlene and Owen Power. That's at least how I see the blue line, Paul. I, I agree with your assessment, AJ. And any upward trajectory for this team will mean that both of those guys have had great years and they'll need to be good at both ends of the ice. And they've got to have a couple of the defensive-minded guys, Samuelson and Nabushkin, do their role up to a tee in order for that upward mobility to take place, because I don't like the net mining situation here. I'll talk about it, and then I'll let it over to you. Craig Anderson is fighting off father time. He's north of 40 years of age, somehow produced a pretty solid stat line on this team last year in terms of wins and losses, but the goals against average, 312, the save percentage at sub-900, those aren't numbers that you want from your first-string goalie. And uh, they went looking for help. They got Eric Comrie, who was one of the best backups in, uh, available and uh, they signed him out of Winnipeg where he played in only 10 decisions last no he played in about 17 decisions he's going to need to get probably upwards of 30 starts I think to to really help Anderson uh, manage his time I guess but I like Comrie's numbers 258 goals against and a 92 percent save percentage they're also waiting on a star in the in the in the making and they hope they've been nurturing this guy up for a long time talking about Uka Pekka Lukanen who uh, was given a taste in the NHL, but he's played a lot in the minors the last couple of years, and he's still one of the still one of the highest regarded goalie prospects out there. It sometimes take a few of them a little longer to develop, and uh, they could sure use his help right now, AJ. Yeah, I don't have much to add to that goaltending breakdown there, Paul, so I'll dive over to the Detroit Red Wings here. Uh, it'll be a familiar top line, Lucas Raymond, off his phenomenal a rookie season, I would expect we'll see more of the same from him. I think his numbers could go up a little bit, but um, again, 57 points, 18 of those with the man advantage. So certainly he uh, filled that role admirably. He'll play with Dylan Larkin and Tyler Bertuzzi, both of whom had, uh, you know, 60 to 70 points last year on a pretty, uh, pretty bad team to be perfectly blunt here. So getting that number of points, um, they'll be a little first line heavy again, I think, but they've added some pieces to try and bolster that second group. They've got Jacob Vrana um, in there. He's back for another year. Then they added Andrew Kopp, who is dealing with a bit of an injury. Uh, no clear word on whether he'll be ready for an- opening night. And then veteran David Perron comes over uh, from, from St. Louis. Another good season for him. I mean, this is a guy who in the last uh, four years has hit – the 20-goal mark in three of those seasons, and the one year he missed it, he had 19. So, like, you can pretty much count on David Perron to get them 20 goals. Um, another name that could be a factor in there is Dominic Kubli, comes over from Chicago. A uh, little less production out of him, uh, which is why we've got him on the third line. Uh, but 32 points, 78 games, could push Jacob Vrana for a bigger role um, if, if needed. So, yeah, I, I think the concern with this team is maybe getting out of that 
that top six, there's a few guys that could factor in. Um, you know, they, they unfortunately they've got Robbie Fabry uh, out until January with a knee injury. That's very unfortunate for him. I think he would have been a top six factor here as well. AJ, I want to also note that Tyler Bertuzzi, penciled in on first line, he played 68 games last year, didn't miss too many because of health, but he did miss because of the cross-border limitations to COVID, which won't be in place to start the season at least. So hopefully he can play a fuller slate of games and build on what he did with 62 points in that first-line opportunity. He's a very solid player. That's a very good-looking first line, as you've mentioned. And I, I hope Hot Cop can get back to full strength as well and build on his 53 points in 72 games where he was with Winnipeg and the Rangers last year. This is a very nice opportunity for him in the second line. And David Perron, a very nice addition, just like Verona the year before, is a very nice pickup for Saint, from St. Louis in this case, where he got 57 points last year in 67 games played. And he's going to thrive in the first uh, top six opportunity here with a lot of power play time, I think. He'll be pushed, and the top six will be pushed by the likes of Dominic Kubalik. 32 points in 78 games. Pius Sutter's very nice insurance of the center position. He played second line much of the year, so they've got a nice look in the one, two, three slots. They're looking for Philip Zadina to take the next step. If he was as good as he talked, he'd be an all-star, though. He's got a big mouth, this kid. Limited to 24 points in 74 games. He's got a, a lot to do before he catches up with his talking. And I'd like to see him warm it on the ice. How about that for a shot across the bow? <laughs> and uh, then beyond that, it's just some guys with some experience, but not really guys that I want to see in the top six here. I'm talking about Oscar Sundquist, Austin Zarnak, Adam Ernie. These guys are fillers in the bottom six, and some of them have good size and can check, so they hope that they get that much out of them as well. But they'll miss Tom, Robbie Fabry, as you pointed out, AJ. On the blue line, they have made a couple of changes as well, and they've got some injury issues to consider in, uh, that will limit some of them as in the future, in the early going at least. Ben Sherratt comes over after coming out of a year where he split time with Montreal and Florida. 26 points, verging on career-high numbers for him. I don't, he'll be hard-pressed to repeat those, but he gets to play with Moritz Sider, which and what should be a pretty nice-looking top tandem Sider called her trophy guy last year, 50 points in 82 games played. He's the real deal on the blue line, folks. He can, he's physical and he can score and he's got some defensive acumen. I think they've really got something there. They're trying to build around him. And uh, one guy that will lose kind of some of his momentum scoring wise is Philip Ronick. He was penciled in as the power play quarterback until Sider came along. So he's going to lose some of that possibility. And that was reflected in his totals last year where the, they dipped a little bit. He got 38 points, and I think that's 40 points as a ceiling for him as long as Sider is around, but still not a bad secondary option on the back end. I know you're not a big fan of Ole Mata, but he rounds up uh, top four here, AJ, coming over from the Los Angeles Kings, so he'll get lots of ice time because beyond those four, Jordan Osterley is the only other guy I think that can threaten for top four minutes, and he was limited to 45 games last year. They rounded up with Gustav Lindstrom as well, and uh, Robert Hag is battling head injury. He's out indefinitely. He's a guy with some NHL experience. Jake Wallman is a guy they had hopes for. Uh, he had has a shoulder injury out to November, they say. And then Mark Pissick uh, dealing with an Achilles. He's a guy that could help them if he's healthy, but that won't happen until January. Yeah, those injuries I think are really going to hurt um, this blue line, and and I think ultimately. Um, could could make it tough for them, but you know they'll hopefully get Hag back sooner rather than later. 
Um, Wallman, obviously, like you said, mid-November, so they'll, they'll have to plan on missing him for the first half of the season. In the Nets, we'll get uh, a second year of uh, – or a first year, rather, of, uh, of Billy Huso here comes over from the Blues, went 25-7-6 and with St. Louis last year in, in 40 games. 2.56 was the goals against average. I have him penciled in as the starter here over Alex Nedeljkovic. Uh, you know, Nedeljkovic, 59 games for them last year, went just 20-24-9, and nine, perhaps most concerning the 3.31 goals against average. So I do think we'll see uh, Huso get the start at – you know, to begin the year, um, if he slips, they'll they'll probably turn pretty quickly to Nedeljkovic. But overall, I think Huso gets the start. Um, but it could be close. It, it could it really could go either way. To be totally honest with you, Paul, like this is one of those matchups where Huso could just kind of grab the the bull by the horns, like he did, and steal. You know, when he stole the starting job away from Jordan Biddington for a while, there we could see a repeat of that and he just rolls with it, or if he stumbles and struggles, you know, we could be close to like a 41-41 split um, between these two. But I think it's Huso's job to lose. You know what? Uh, one guy that's doing a real good job behind the scenes is Steve Eisenman. I think he's put together a pretty nice-looking offense, coming up with very good free agent signings and uh, forward ranks to add Verona last year and Verona this year to really bolster that top six. And he's doing the same thing on the blue line with Ben Chirot coming in. I like that move as well. But in the Nets, I think that's where he's really shining in terms of the, the redevelopment of this team. Uh, as, a, as a significant player in this division, it begins and ends in goaltending. And I think they got two young guys that can hold the fort here while the rest of the team starts to catch up and really gel around them. So I like the tandem of Yuso and the Jelkovic. I don't see an outright number one here, but that might not be a bad situation in Detroit at all for those two guys. We go next to the Florida Panthers, a team that, led this division last year and uh, they'll be hard pressed to do it because it is I think the most challenging division top to bottom so uh, they'll try and defend that though when we look at the forward ranks AJ it begins with a forward line that's going to look a little bit different because they acquired Matthew Tuchuk in uh, an off-season trade and he's going to be on that first line next to Alex Barkov and not Jonathan Huberto who went the other way Carter Verhage looks to cement his position as a top-line 40, had a 55-point season last year, and I think he, he's poised to repeat those numbers with the other two guys he's going to play with, and you shouldn't be overlooked uh, in the mid-to-late portion of your drafts as they come up. I mentioned earlier Rudy Balsers is a guy that I have uh, penciled in uh, as a top-six player. He, here he gets a nice assignment with Sam, the Sams, Sam Bennett and Sam Reinhardt, who are mainstays on the second unit last year with 49 and 72 points respectively. I think Balsers can shoot for 40 plus points in this lineup and build on the 23 that he had last year in San Jose. I think he'll dwarf those numbers actually. And beyond that, I think there's a significant drop off AG, but maybe you can find a couple of gems to at least have our listeners consider as maybe depth options. I'm not sure if there's too many, but uh, speak to it if you can. Yeah, well, I think the number one question for me is, you know, whether or not uh, Eric Stahl uh, earns a, earns a contract. He's here on a PTO. I mean, we're talking about a guy that at points in his career, you know, first first line center, hundred point season back in two thousand and five. There's several seventy point seasons in there as well. Um, so it'll be interesting to see if he gets a contract and and where they use him, but. 
let me tell you, there's worse third line centers in the league probably than, you know, Eric Stahl, even at, thir- you know, 37 years of age. So I'm really interested to see how he pans out. Another player I'm kind of intrigued by uh, is Gerald Mayhew. Uh, not a huge, like, production level in uh, the NHL right now, which is certainly a concern. But looking way back um, with when he was with the Minnesota Wild, uh, he had some really phenomenal minor league seasons, so I'm very curious to see if he can make that jump here and, and how he might factor into their team as well. Outside of that, you know, obviously they brought over Nick Cousins. He'll figure with Anton Ludell and Colin White, who came over from Ottawa. Um, they'll be, you know, kind of that third line, but I think Stahl Mayhew could be a factor. And then, of course, Anthony Duclair, when he comes back, again, another player dealing with a long-term injury December, early December is when we have him penciled in right now. Um, and so we'll we'll see you know whether he's ready or not at, at that point. But for sure, I would expect we'll see him by, you know, uh, January or so. All right, AJ, let's take a look at the blue line. Uh, it's got a familiar look in terms of the names, but they're being rejuggled because of the fact that one of the guys got dealt last year and he's now in Calgary. But their remainder is uh, centered around Aaron Eckblad, who's head and shoulders above the pack on this club. He had an injury-shortened season last year, 57 points in 61 games. He would have been one of the top-scoring defensemen in all of hockey. He was high among them anyway. He would have played a full slate of games, and he'll be pressed to do the same thing on uh, what was the highest-scoring team in the NHL last season. He'll be partnered with Gustav Forsling, who had a bit of a coming-out party with 10 goals and 37 assists last season. He'll be hard-pressed to repeat those numbers, but he's got a good shot at it as long as he can stay with Ekblad on a regular shift because he, too, is blessed with an abundance of offensive skill. From there, it tails off dramatically in terms of scoring options, AJ. And Lucas Carlson, nine points in 40 games. Radko Gudis, 16 points in 77 games, known primarily as a, a baggage smasher, one of the most physical, most physical guys that plays the regular shift on blue lines around the league. They brought over Mark Stahl, who's getting a little long in the tooth, 16 points and seven, in 71 games for one of the better defensemen, defensemen over the last 10 years in the NHL. Brandon Montour is another guy that will participate in the offense. He got 11 goals and 28 assists, 26 assists last season. So uh, they split up a couple of their top scoring options on the back end. But uh, I guess Forsling could be considered the third best, uh, all told. But uh, it's nice to have three options in in total, and uh, they rounded out with Michael Delzato on a PTO. You wonder if he'll make the grade because he scored a little bit wherever he's been throughout his career. But uh, injury plagued and limited to 26 games, he got 13 points last season. Yeah, I think they had to follow the league rule, right? You can you have to have at least two stalls uh, on the team at all times. Um, so, yeah, no, um, I, I think that's a good addition. Honestly, I like the idea of Stahl paired with Montour. It'll let Montour free him up to, to really jump up into the play. So I, I like them as, as a duo there. Um, in the Nets, the duo will be Sergei Bobrovsky and Spencer Knight once again. I think for myself, I, I was looking for Spencer Knight to really like take a big, big jump last year. Um, numbers aren't bad. 2.79 was the goals against average. 908 was the save percentage. I just think coming off the postseason um, that, you know, he probably would have factored in a, a little bit more for them. Obviously, the, the concern there is, you know, how much money they're spending um, on these two guys here. You've got, you know, Knight 
Now this year he's still um, still on his entry level deal. He's on the last year of his entry level contract. So really, they're barely spending ten million, a uh, little over ten million with Bobrovsky's deal there. But then they're going to pay these guys a combined like fourteen point five million for another three years. Seems a little strange, a little pricey for two netminders here. But at least this year they get one last year of Spencer Knight on on the discount for his entry level contract. And the Hamburglar moves around, too. One more team, AJ. Uh, Andrew Hammond split time between Montreal and New Jersey as a third stringer. He'll be the third guy here in case one of these two guy, guys get hurt. But they spent a lot of, an awful lot of money on this tandem. And uh, I didn't like the Bobrovsky contract the day they, he signed it. But it look, it'll look a little more iffy next year, I'll tell you that much, if Spencer Knight continues his traction and really threatens that number one role. Well, let's take a break now, and uh, we'll be back with our look at the remaining teams in the Atlantic Division of the Eastern Conference. You're listening to RoarWire's podcast with Satsman and AJ, our fun fantasy hockey podcast. We'll be back after these messages. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The headlines remind us daily, the world is a dangerous place. 
The elites in charge say everything's fine, stop noticing, but you know better. And your gut knows that time is short to prepare for a world that is four missed meals away from chaos. My Patriot Supply has helped over three million families become more self-reliant and is the company Americans trust to prepare. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure their best-selling three-month emergency food kits. Each contain delicious breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Secure at least one food kit for each family member. For a limited time, save $200, plus get free shipping on all their Ready Hour three-month emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. My Patriot Supply also has solar power generators, water filtration units, biomass stoves, heirloom seeds, and critical survival gear. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. practicing my cheering mode uh, while we were off can't, off the show there for a minute, but we're back. You're listening to Rotowire's podcast with Statsman and AJ, and we want to give our listeners a reminder of how to get in touch with us during the week, and but also give a nod to our uh, high-profile sponsor, AJ. Yeah, so the NFL is in full swing, and the NHL season is finally just around the corner here. There's no better time to try Caesar Sportsbook. Today, anyone who is at least 21 years of age and in a licensed Caesar Sportsbook state can create a new account and redeem Caesar Sportsbook promo code ROTO15. That's R-O-T-O-1-5. The promo code gives new users a risk-free first bet up to $1,500. Visit Caesars.com sportsbook or download the Caesar Sportsbook app today. And don't forget to use promo code ROTO15 when signing up. And of course, as Paul mentioned, uh, if you do have comments or questions, we'd love to interact with you. Uh, best place to do that is on Twitter at AJSholes24. You can follow Paul at Statsman22. We get some great questions every week. We try and answer those for you when they come up. Of course, if you're interested in watching the show, it is available on RotoWire's Facebook page. And then I also share it out on that Twitter account at AJSholes24. You can watch it on there live uh, right through Twitter. Great stuff, partner. And uh, let's continue with our look at the four remaining clubs. We'll begin with Montreal. And AJ, before we went to air, I told you, I've watched two exhibition games where the Canadians have been featured, uh, albeit against the Maple Leafs, and they've been badly outmatched in those contests. And uh, they're a very thin roster. And I don't think there's any question they're headed for the bottom of the standings once again to buy for the first overall pick one more season. And uh, as a Leaf fan, you know, I, I would hate to have a league without Montreal, but this team is a dreadful representation of 
of the Canadians and uh, their, their historic past. This team will not be remembered very fondly, I don't think. I'll make that prediction. But they do have some players in note, and they'll go in, in your fantasy drafts. And I'll take a look at the forward ranks, AJ, and uh, try and come up with the names and talk about them, uh, beginning with Cole Caulfield. Of course, everybody's very excited about this guy's scoring ability, and you're a big fan because of where he comes from and what you know about his history in U.S. colleges. He had 43 points last year in 67 games, but most of that was in a torrid second half after the new coach was installed. And I think the relationship between player and coach is such that you might see Caulfield, Caulfield dwarf those numbers this season with a nice year for himself, partnered with Nick Suzuki, the newly minted captain of the club, who hasn't really skated much in the preseason schedule owing to injuries, but he's hoping to build on a 61-point season. And they're going to round it out with Mike Hoffman, who is probably very lucky to have the right-wing role in the top line because he's bounced around the league a little bit and may have found his last home in the NHL if he makes good on this opportunity. At 35 points in 67 games played, he should do better better than that as long as he plays with these guys up front. On the second line, the off-enders, Jonathan Drouin, limited to 34 games last year, 20 points. And he'll be centered by Sean Monaghan, who's hoping to reignite his career. He is, was soured upon by the Calgary management last year. Limited opportunities caused him to only get 23 points in a very bad season for him. This guy was a 30-goal scorer not so long ago in the NHL, and Montreal would like nothing better than for him to show some of that scoring touch to at least – make them consider returning to, to the team long-term or be a trade-baked option uh, later this season. Josh Anderson rounds up this uh, top six, and this is a maddening player for me, AJ. He's got all the skills, all the size that you want in a player, but somehow he has found his way into a role where he just can't get more than 20 goals a year or 40 points. He got 32 in 69 games played, and when you consider the skill set, he should be doing double that, in my opinion. And again, top six role in Montreal, maybe we'll see it, but I don't expect it. About the rest of the top uh, top forward options here, you can talk a little about a bit about Yurash Slavkovsky if you wish. The top draft pick, AJ Kirby, Doc, Evgeny Dodonov, Christian Dvorak. They're going to get some ice time, but uh, are any of them viable fantasy options? Yeah, I mean, I think you know Evgeny Dadnov is is probably the best option there in the the bottom. Comes in 20 goals, 23 assists last year. He'll be a power play factor as well. Um, I do like the Kirby Doc addition. Um, you know, I haven't seen a, enough out of Slavkowski to really uh, have a good assessment of where his game is at. Um, but, you know, if he makes the team, certainly they, they are seeing something. So, um I got to be honest, I don't, I don't really, looking at this, I don't hate this bottom six. Like, there's a lot of... You know, Yoel Armia's been a player that's done power play minutes. He's had bigger productive seasons than what he had last year. Brendan Gallagher, there's like, it's like a potential bottom six, right? Like all these guys have done better. Paul Byron dealing with an injury right now, but expected to be back. Another guy that's had, you know, some decent, you know, he's got a couple 20 goal seasons, 43 points. Like there, there's some potential talent in, in this group here. So um, it'll be interesting to see how everything shakes off and shakes out in terms of, you know, how their lineup looks for, for opening night here on the blue line. They bring over Mike Matheson from the Penguins in the Jeff Petrie swap. Uh, he, you know, essentially um, in my opinion, what the Penguins did was they traded high on Matheson and bought low 
on Jeff Petrie. Uh, obviously, Montreal is hoping that, that Petrie's numbers continue to slide and that Mike Matheson's production wasn't totally tied to Todd Reardon being his, his coach. Um, if I was them, I'd be a little concerned that that's the case. So we'll we'll see what Matheson can bring. The thing that he'll get that he wasn't going to get in Pittsburgh is he should see plenty of opportunity with the number one power play unit. Obviously, in Pittsburgh, that was always going to be quarterbacked by Chris Letang. So kind of an expanded role potentially for him there. Paired up with David Savard is kind of the shutdown option. And then an injury to uh, Joel Emerson is going to create some opportunities here. It's a young group after that. We've got Jordan Harris, uh, Justin Barron, uh, Madison Bowie uh, from Vancouver. Pretty not necessarily a, a youngster like some of the other guys, but uh, limited NHL experience the last couple of years. Really the only veteran in the rest of this group is Chris Weidman. Um, really good season last year with Montreal, all things considered. 27 points in 64 games. 12 of those did come with the power play. I don't know if he'll continue in that power play role this year as well. Um, I would pencil him in for, from day one to do it, but we'll see if one of these other younger guys can kind of challenge for that spot. AJ, there is a rarity on this defense should the, should one player make this team. They'll have a player whose last name begins with an X. His name is Asher Jackye, if I've got the pronunciation right. That's Asher Jackye. He played out of Hamilton in the OHL last year. Uh, split the season with another club there in the OHL. Combi- combined totals, 12 goals, 22 assists, and a lot of penalty minutes. And that's the attraction with this guy. He's a big physical player. In 51 games, he accumulated almost 100 penalty minutes and uh, plays it very hard, very physical. But if last night's an indication, he's not very mobile, and he was made to look pretty foolish on one of the goals that Leafs scored where he was uh, nutmegged, I'll say, uh, on a couple of passes leading in up to the scoring play. Nonetheless, a physical element that's missing from this back end, and they're going to be having tryouts on Boulin all year long because this is easily the worst defensive group in the entire NHL. I don't think there's any question in my mind. And it's going to be reflected in the totals of the goalies. Jake Allen and Samuel Montembeau leading the depth chart here. Both of them have goals against average last season in Montreal that was well north of three. And I think you can expect not not much better in that regard. And they're doing their part uh, to hold on to opportunities for the Canadians, but the losing record uh, had more to do with what's in front of them than what they're up to, because they were both able to get safe percentages around 90%. And given the lack of support that they had up front, I think that's commendable almost. And uh, they have a couple of depth options uh, behind those two and Kevin Poulin and Caden Primo. But the big issue here is that they will put carry price on LTIR. And I think we've seen the last of this uh, potential future, future Hall of Famer in the NHL. He's a cap, got a cap hit of $10.5 million through the 2025-2026 season. But I don't think there's a lot of people that hold out hope that he'll be back in the NHL as a player anytime soon. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think we'll... Uh... We'll see Carey Price's contract, you know, potentially maybe get traded at some point um, and and kind of just shuffled around uh, on LTIR for, for a while here. So um, unfortunate end to, you know, potential end. I guess we shouldn't officially rule it out, but seemingly, uh, you know, uh, an unfortunate end for, for Carey Price here. I'll take us into the Ottawa forward group. Um, led by Brady Tuchuk, Josh Norris, and Drake Batherson as the top line. And then they've bolstered that second group to give uh, Tim Stutzley some options here 
Got Claude Giroux on the right, Alex DeBrincat on the left. I think both of these guys are fantastic, fantastic adds to this team. And I, the biggest thing is, I think, with getting some wingers in, Stutzley shouldn't have to play wing. He can play center where he, he's meant to be. You get DeBrincat, 41 goals last year on your one side. Claude Giroux uh, comes up with, you know, 18, uh, 21 total goals uh, between his two stops last year on the other side. So Tim Stutzley with some goal scorers. I like that. I think because of those additions, I don't really see anybody in this bottom six pushing for, um, you know, challenging for a spot here. You know, Tyler Mott, uh, not a big offensive guy. Shane Pinto hasn't really, we haven't seen a ton out of him yet um, due to a shoulder injury last year. Matthew Joseph, again, these are not guys that have at least a history of top producing years. So this is probably one of the most set six, you know, top sixes that we've talked about today. Uh, you know, looking at how this would shake out. Yeah. It's an exciting prospect if they can all stay healthy. But I'll note that Drake Batherson, for instance, only 46 games played last year has had trouble staying healthy. He got 44 points ages. That tells you he's a point of game guy and he should be a point of game guy considering he has to play across from Tuchuk and with Norris, both of those guys got North of 30 goals last year. Add to Brinkett with 41 goals and Sussley with 58 points, along with Claude Giroux, you mentioned, all, all of them capable of 60-plus points really across the board in a full season. Sussley, lowest score almost in terms of that rate with 58 points in 79 games played. I don't think anybody's too concerned about him being able to build on that. So you said it first. I'll echo that there's a very nice-looking top six, but you also said they may be wanting for options in case one of those guys get hurt gets hurt. I don't think they have much of a scoring depth beyond Tyler Mott, who tops the crew, I think, a lot, and Matthew Joseph as top options in the bottom six. Mott coming over where he split the year with Vancouver, New York, will be known for a tougher physical checking style of play than scoring X points, and that might fit very well with what DJ Smith and company are trying to build there on the auto management. So good-looking group, top six-wise, will uh, certainly buoy their chances for better season than last year. On the blue line, Thomas Shabbat, of course, their signature player on the back end, will be the power play quarterback and hopes to build on the 38 points and 59 games played in what, what was an injury-limited season for him as well. His longtime partner is defensive specialist Artem Zub, who had 22 points in 81 games. The bright light and the new face on the back end, Josh Sanderson, was a first-round pick in the 2020 draft, played out of North Dakota where he got 26 points in 23 games played in the last hit of duty as an amateur. And uh, they have high hopes for him to be a second proven scoring option behind Shabbat. Time will tell on that one. He'll be insulated by Travis Hamannuk, one of the better defensive defensemen. Should he be able to stay healthy is the question. He was limited to 43 games last year and only 10 points. Then they rounded out with Nikita Zaitsev, Eric Brandstrom, and Nick Holden, all three of them more known for the back, the back end defensive side of the puck. So really the pressure is on Shabbat to deliver what he usually does and Josh Sanderson to show the offensive skill that he is blessed with. Sorry, Paul. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah, just, uh, I think that's a good breakdown of, of the blue line there. Uh, so I'll look at the goalies. The big concern here is uh, the injury to Cam Talbot fractured rib five to seven weeks is, is the timeline here. So, um, 
some big question marks after that. It, it'll be Anton Forsberg, who I think gets the, the primary start here. He played 46 games for them last year. Okay numbers, 22-17-4, and four, a 2.82 goals against average. And at the start here, it looks like potentially backed up by Magnus Helberg, who they claimed off of waivers um, and, and brought him in to, to fill that role. Uh, potentially, you know, Kevin Mandelis could be another option here as well. But I think it's basically going to be Forsberg, a sprinkling of kind of, you know, mind the gap, if you will, until Cam Talbot comes back um, and, and can step into that that starter role. Obviously, it'll depend which Cam Talbot they get to determine whether he is the full-time starter. Is he the guy that, you know, won 42 games with Edmonton, won 32 for Minnesota last year? Or, you know, is this the guy that had stops in Calgary and Philadelphia that went uh, pretty underwhelming as well? I think you touched on something that's very important and being lost by a lot, a lot of people who are really holding high hopes for this club. Cam Talbot's been up and down like a toilet seat for the last several years, AJ. And he was insulated behind a very strong Minnesota team last year where he did put up pretty good numbers. But I don't like the fact when any goalie gets hurt in the, this early in the season, he's got to bounce back and come back healthy, which is not guaranteed because he's getting up there in, in the years for in age for a goalie. And that puts a lot of pressure on Anton Forsberg, who himself has been injury-riddled during his career. So they really got to hope that Forsberg can hold the fort a, until Calvin Talbot comes back. And then B, Cam Talbot needs to come back and pull on the rope with some efficiency to help his goalie partner here. Otherwise, those those hopes will be dashed early for the Ottawa club. Nonetheless, they look like an improved team, and let's hope that they are. Tampa is up next. Brandon Hagel, Steven Stamkos, and Nikita Kucherov look to be the top-scoring unit as, as currently comprised. And the pressure's on Hagel to deliver the goods early here, folks. He's got a primetime opportunity to dwarf the NHL scoring points. He totaled 44 last year in 77 games. If he gets to play with Stamkos and Kucherov, he should uh, he should get 60 to 70 points uh, on that line. But uh, things could shuffle up because Anthony Sorelli's out uh, with an uh, injured shoulder. He'll be back potentially in late November. So I say Hagel's got two months to get it right here and hold off other contenders. The second line is also something that has been changed up a little bit. Alex Killorn and Braden Point are mainstays of the top six, but Corey Perry played much of the season as a fourth liner last year. He did compile 40 points as a power play specialist, had a lot to do with that, and he'll be featured there again as well. But uh, if and when Sorelli comes back, maybe that'll be the, the time where Perry loses that top six opportunity. Beyond that, AJ, they have a couple other names uh, among their depth pieces that could threaten for top six minutes and bear watching what you share with the class. Well, I think number one is Vladislav Nemesnikov. Um, you know, last couple of days at practice, they've actually moved him into that first line left wing role with Stamkos and Kucherov um, and then shuffled kind of Brandon Hegel around. Uh, from a fantasy standpoint, look, Corey Perry is probably going to be on a power play unit regardless of what line they put him on. So that's just something to kind of monitor. 40 points last year, really good season, eight of those with the man advantage. So even if you see Corey Perry bottom six, um, he should be a power play factor as well. And then Cole Kepke um, is a you know kind of unknown player for, for most people. 39 points for the Syracuse Crunch last year. Uh, another, you know, University of Minnesota Duluth product, a sixth round pick, but by all indications, based on some of the other moves they've made, 
the last couple of days, uh, it looks like he could be in line to make this team for opening night. So kind of a sneaky option. Um, if you, you know, have waivers coming up and, and can maybe pick him up, I, I would consider it because uh, third line role with Nick Paul and Ross Colton should still produce. Um, and that's, that's where they had him today. So uh, there are some, some guys to target there. Speaking of targets, of course, Victor Hedman will headline the defense here. 20 goals, 65 assists last season. No reason to expect any drop in production. We've got him pairing up with Cal Foote right now, who's you know mostly going to be a defensive guy to, to give him Hedman the ability to jump up into the play. Their other offensive piece comes in the form of Mikhail Sergeyev, who, you know, 38 points, a really solid season for him. Again, Eric Chernak is his partner. And then rounded out with Ian Cole comes over from Carolina. Philippe Myers comes over from Nashville. Hayden Fleury from Seattle. As you can see, they brought in a handful of other guys to round out this bottom group, none of whom are big offensive pieces. So really, it'll be Hedman and Sergeyev that drive it from the blue line. Yeah, I think overall you got to figure that they were taking a bit of a hit defensively in terms of the quality of the, the depth that they have. Eric, Zach Bogosian is out with a shoulder injury till November, and that's going to hamper the defensive side of the puck where he makes his bread and butter. He had 48 games played last year, so he's dealt with injuries before in his career and bounced back, and they hope they'll need him to do that again because I, I think that he would bolster that the bottom uh, unit at the very least. Uh, in the Nets, Andre Vasilevsky is going to be tasked with taking on a heavy workload again, and he certainly proved capable of it year after year. And uh, why not ask him one more time? He's in the prime of his career in terms of his age, and he should be able to almost replicate the 2.49 goals against and 91.6 save percentage in almost 60 over 60 decisions last year. He's got a quality backup in Brian Elliott again, who should spell him and maybe play more games than he did last year. He was limited to 19, 18 decisions overall, and I think he should be able to play at least 25 games to give Vasilevsky a bit of a break here should he want it. Then finally, the last team that we preview uh, uh, before we get to the series shooting next week is the Toronto Maple Leafs. AJ, this team is stacked in the top six. Uh, I, I think they had one opportunity. I touched on it at the beginning of the show, but Michael Bunting had a very nice first season with the club, and he gets the great opportunity to play with Matthews and Marner, who are perennial all-stars in this league. They will be again, and Bunting should be able to replicate the 63 points that he got last season, uh, playing almost a full slate of games. On the second line, John Tavares will be missing for a couple of, maybe about three, four weeks with an oblique strain. That's caused them to shuffle things up offensively. Alex Kerfoot, though, has been a, a guy that was rumored to be traded on the trade block all summer long, and they're pretty glad that they held on to him because not only is he getting that look on the second line, but he's looked in very good. Maybe the best forward the Leafs have had other than Willie Nylander in the exhibition game so far. And that's two-thirds of that second unit that Robertson will play with. And they've been together for much of the the exhibition schedule. So they're building something and they hope that it continues to be as special as it looked. They've got a couple of guys here on PTOs and so on that, that uh, make up some of the depth chart here, AJ. Uh, and uh, maybe a couple of them can be scoring components, but uh, Kelly Arncroft might be the best of, of the lot at 30, po 30 points in 66 games played last year. He's P2 has looked good in the exhibition schedule, but I want to give you a chance to make some comments here too. Yeah, I think the only thing I would add is just, you know, um, the I think the bottom six, as it looks right now, because of Engvall and Tavares being out, is a little underwhelming. Um, but neither one of those guys is expected, like, they should both be back 
end of this month at, at the absolute latest. In fact, Aimvall could still be available for opening night. So um, I think that bolsters the kind of depth of this group once we get them back and, and kind of alleviates that concern. Um, on the blue line, uh, kind of a similar story. Some some banged up guys. Um, Jordy Ben going to be out at least for the start of the season, probably closer to the end of the month. You've got Timothy Liljegren, um, six-week absence, looking like November for his return. Uh, and then, you know, I don't think it's a big deal, but Jake Muzzin has been dealing with a back injury through much of the preseason. I don't think that'll really impact him. I would expect him to be available for opening night. So a couple of injuries, but, you know, with maybe one exception, like I'm not sure Jordy Ben really would have started anyway. Um, I think it maybe just means you have a guy like Victor Mete as your seventh defenseman. But, uh, yeah, I think the, the decor looks pretty good, Paul. I'll let you run through it. Yeah, I'm pretty happy with the six-pack, and I'm also happy with the depth that they have here experience-wise. They, I haven't gone into a season in a long time with this kind of a depth chart on the back end, and it really was helped by the fact that Rasmus Sandin finally ended his holdout and came to his senses. He's got a great opportunity here to take the next step in his career, along with Lilligren. I think those guys are going to be key aspects of the Leaf Blue Line for years to come. And they have an ample, a really good opportunity playing with four veterans on the back end here to make it look like a pretty good group. And uh, I, I will say that I'm worried for Justin Hall. I think he's on the trade block now that they've got all hands on deck on the back end. That'll give him some salary cap flexibility. And he too is a name that's been rumored all off season. He's had a very nice exhibition schedule Big physical guy who would look good on a number of NHL clubs. So that might be something you can look for in coming days. But behind all of that, the real big question mark here, is AJ, is in net. It's been the talk of the town all summer long and in training camp. Can the tandem of Matt Murray and Ilya Samsonov deliver the goods here in Toronto? Both of them come with question marks. You know Matt Murray very well from two Stanley Cup celebrations in Pittsburgh, but he followed that up with a miserable time in Ottawa that culminated with a very poor season last year where he was only limited to 19 decisions and only five of those were wins. So hopefully most of that was due to the quality of the defensive structure of the Senators. The Leafs will be much better in front of him. And so far he's looked very good in the exhibition schedule, but so many goalies have in the past as well. He'll be challenged by Ilya Samsonov, who took a prove-it deal with the Leafs, Betting on himself for one year at $1.8 million was peanuts to what he could have got elsewhere, I think. But he wants to play on a good team and uh, show the league that he's a, uh, worthy of the number one draft, first-round draft pick status that he has. And the fact that he, did, he was the starter for Washington in the playoffs last season. So they come with question marks, but the upside is just as high as the downside is low for these two guys. I wonder which way you think it's going to go. Yeah, I think the best case scenario is that Samsonov has um, really just kind of slightly improved numbers from last year. They don't have to be outrageously better. Just get that save percentage up over nine here. Um, and then he can split the crease with Matt Murray. You look at Murray's best seasons. It's when he was splitting his time uh, with, you know, Marc-Andre Fleury. Um, they won two titles that way. And, and really, I think he is better suited to be in a split share situation. So the worst case scenario is that Samsonov really struggles. And then the Leafs decide that they need to ride Matt Murray as like a true number one. Um, I don't see that going well. Like I said, I really think he better, he's better off thrives more when the workload is divided. So we'll see how it goes for you. I, I do agree. I think it's probably the biggest question mark 
uh, in this lineup. All right, partner, for our final division predictions for this division, I'll leave it to you to tell me where do you think the Leafs are going to finish and how does the rest of the division look? Well, I just can't put the Leafs at number one. I just can't do it. Um, So I'm going to have Tampa at number one. You know, I talked off the top. I I think they have arguably the best goalie in the league still. Um, They've got really strong defensive scoring options. Uh, They're pretty deep team. They've got some new kind of up-and-comers as well. And so I just see everything in this lineup works really well for me. So I put them at the top. It'll be a dogfight like it always is with your Toronto Maple Leafs. Again, the question mark being the goaltending, but I don't think it'll be a big enough problem. Um, You know, with uh, looking at the the rest of the goaltending in this league, you know, we've talked about question marks pretty much everywhere else. Could Matthews challenge for the uh, NHL single season goal record of 92 goals? I mean, he gets what, 26 games against division rivals. So, uh, that's a lot of bad net mining to face. So <laughs> we'll see how that goes for him. Uh, from there, I go with uh, Florida at number three. I still think they're right there in the mix. And for me, that's kind of the class of the league. I, I think Tampa and Toronto will be ahead of Florida, um, but they'll they'll stay in it for, for a while here. And then from there, you've got Ottawa. We talked about problems there. Uh, we've got Boston coming in at fifth for me. The injury concerns uh, could set them back pretty far to start the season. Montreal, I actually have as number six. I like their forward group. Um, I think they have less questions in goal with Jake Allen than you would get potentially from Detroit and and Buffalo. Um, So I think they can maybe overcome those. Detroit in seventh. Buffalo in last. And I've really struggled with this one because I like the kind of youth movement that they're doing. They're heading in the right direction, but I just don't know. Um, that they have the the net mining again to to really make that work. So AJ, I'll start with a comment about Buffalo. They look like the Stanley Cup defending champs whenever they play Toronto. They look like such a strong team, and then they miss the playoffs every year. I don't follow them as closely as as maybe I do the home home club here, but I'm shocked that they don't battle for the playoff spot. I think they're going to be closer this year than you think. I still don't give them a chance, but I'll I begin my comments there. I'm going to put the Maple Leafs number one. I'll tell you why. I think Tampa's taken a hit at the forward position and on defense in, in terms of losses to the roster and injuries. So they're going to come back to the pack a little bit. I think the Leafs will too, but I think the Leafs have more depth than Tampa does at this stage of the way it looks to me. And uh, I think Florida was a big-time overachiever last year, and I don't think they helped themselves in the offseason, despite the fact they maybe made the biggest splash I think the deal that they made cost them a very important piece on the blue line, and that's going to make the defensive side of the puck a little more vulnerable with the loss of Mackenzie Weger to that group, and that's why I take them from first to third in this division. I think Ottawa's the team that we both agree is the most upwardly mobile, and they should threaten for a playoff spot, but I really think they took an early hit with the injury to Cam Talbot, and I don't know that they have the wherewithal to sustain it if he doesn't come back and come back on the fly. And... uh Ditto for Boston. They, they're injury-riddled at the outset. They have to hold the fort for the first half of the season. When they get all hands on deck in the second half, I expect a better second half from them, no question. But will they be too far out by then? That's that's the concern that I have for Boston and their fans. I've got Buffalo 6th, AJ, because as I said, they look like world beaters whenever I see them. And I think they're going to be better than Detroit by a hair. I like what's happening in Detroit. They're developing something. But I disagree with you vehemently on Montreal. And I might make myself 
the ultimate Montreal Montreal anti fan by saying this. They're the worst team that I, that I, I think suits up on opening night. And uh, I, I might have moved uh, them up just because I knew it would bother you. I yeah, know. I think that had something to do with it because their defense is, is really a black hole, and uh, they're they're hoping that a, a, a makeshift goalie tandem can can save them somehow. I don't like the look and I think there's certainly there's certainly a case to be made for them looking forward to another first high first round pick next year with the way this team is constituted. So that's the way we see it. AJ, I'm gonna leave it to you for final thoughts. The serious shooting starts in only a couple of days, buddy. Yeah, it's exciting. Um you know we'll we'll have one more technically I guess like preseason sort of preseason pod here because you know we have the international games but um yeah it, it's we're it's right there we're ready to play and uh yeah i think we should have an exciting uh, another season on the podcast here we've talked about potentially some uh some tweaks uh we've talked about some potential guests that sort of thing so um stay tuned keep watching and uh, we'll have more to come Absolutely. And I mean, you're touching on the fact that we do talk a lot of DFS stuff on DraftKings and we'll be doing more of that and, and having a bit of a gambling slant to our, our DFS segment, which we will bring into place in the early stages of the season. And we will hope to bring guests on board on a regular basis. We've strayed away from that, but want to bring that back in future. So uh, things to look forward to for fans of the podcast with Statsman and AJ. We certainly thank you for tuning us in and listening and being so loyal to us for many years. This is our eighth season. We're excited about this one as uh, as we are all, with all season starts. And we remind you that we're here to assist you with all things relating to your enjoyment of fantasy hockey. So we encourage you to send comments or questions on Twitter. Follow me, Paul Bruno at Statsman22. You can follow AJ at AJSholes24. Thanks so much for listening. So long, everybody. Mm-hmm.